Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily. Do you ever feel undercut, like you're not getting what you deserve, like everything's going against you, like nothing will go right? Well, that's probably how Manchester United fans feel this morning because they were beaten in the Champions League 4-3 by Copenhagen last night in a topsy-turvy game in which they were 2-0 in front, but a controversial red card for Rashford and everything turned on its head. Is VAR to blame or do Manchester United again need to look inward? We'll get the take from a Manchester United fan on today's show. We'll also look at Arsenal's comfortable victory against Sevilla in the Champions League as well. And David Moyes' West Ham are in action tonight. But will it be David Moyes' West Ham for much longer? Is the Hammers manager under serious pressure? We'll tackle all of those questions on today's award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. My name's Niall, Marley Anderson's here. And that Man United fan in question, looking suitably glum this morning, is Joel Tudor. How you doing, mate? Can we change the podcast from Football Social Daily to just Depressing Daily? Because that's <laughs> Joel's <how> Pain <laughs> Daily. That just be your spin-off podcast. Though. If anything goes wrong, then I can just spin it off to just Man United Depressing Daily. Or <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word to say, but I don't want to uh, make you have to bleep myself out 20 <laughs> times. So yeah, a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, I can understand why you're feeling a bit disappointed this morning. It was a really good watch. So I think for the neutral, but from a Manchester United perspective as a supporter, it must have been so infuriating because I think that first 15, 20 minutes, Manchester United played pretty well. And then it all unraveled with the red card. And then there was a bit of a crumble where they conceded twice and it was 2-2 at half time. And then they got the lead 3-2 and then two late goals to lose 4-3. So a lot to get through on today's show. We'll talk about Arsenal and West Ham a little bit later, but we should focus on that game last night, Marley, because it's the big talking point this morning. It just seems like nothing is going right for Eriksen Haag at the moment. Yes, I know they got a last-minute winner against Fulham at the weekend, and some people might say, well, that was evidence of things going their way. But yesterday, it really didn't go their way because when they were playing well and they had a foothold and an advantage in the game, it all came crashing down. People will blame VAR and the red card for Rashford. How did you see the night for United? Number one, I thought it was funny. (laughs) Time out. And number two, I thought it, honestly, I I thought the whole game was the perfect summary of Man United's season. You know, at one point they were playing well. um, Everything was in their own hands. uh, And then it just all came crumbling down. I mean, it starts, obviously the game changes with with Rashford's red card. I don't think it's a red card in a million years. I never think them them types of challenges are red cards um, when it's obvious that the player wasn't going to try and hurt the player he wasn't he was in control of the ball uh, he's just trying to protect it but 
in the in this day and age you get sent off for that, which is you know, it's the wrong decision for me, but it summed up Man United as a as a group that what what was that? Thirty eight minutes Rashford gets sent off and by half time they've gone from two nil up to two two. And, you know, you're away from home, you've got all the momentum with with Copenhagen then. And then to make, make matters worse, there's another mini collapse because they get the lead um, and go, you know, uh, what was it, 3-2 up and they still manage to lose the game 4-3. I think there's two schools of thought here, isn't there? There's the, the red card changed the game and you can understand why Manchester United lost it away from home in the Champions League, school of thought. And then there's the other school of thought, which is what Marley's referring to, which is United were 2-0 up and still conceded four with 10 men in just over 45 minutes away from home. So how do you see it? What's the answer to this question, which is, are Manchester United hard done by? And do they need to look inward, as I said earlier? How do you see it as a fan? United have just got such a soft inner core. Every single game this season has felt like where we score or if there's a significant moment like a red card and we're winning, suddenly everything feels like it's against United, against the run of play, where the other team are just so favourites to go and get a goal or try and change the game. And it's crazy because the first 20 minutes when we went 2-0 up with both of Rasmus Hoyland's goals, it was probably the best 20 minutes of the season, to be honest, in terms of control, in terms of just maintaining the tempo, making sure Copenhagen didn't have a strong start. And it was absolutely perfect up until that stage. And then obviously the red card completely changes the status quo of the game. I don't think it was a red card either, but in Europe, literally, you could touch a person on the tip of his nose by your hair follicle and you'll probably get a red card anyway. So it's just one of those occasions where, okay, it wasn't a red card, but I can also understand why he's giving it because it, they just, in Europe, there's just no tolerance for any kind of challenge like that, even though I know it's not really a challenge when he was in possession of the ball. Uh, but the thing that angered me the most is that after we went 3-2 up, lack of control again. I genuinely don't know what understand. I, I genuinely don't understand what happens with these players. I was annoyed at Ten Hag for being really slow to react. After that 3-2 went up, he should have been completely solidifying that midfield. Instead, he waits and he waits and he waits. And then he brings on Mason Mount when they've just got a goal back. And then suddenly the momentum shifts. You've got Varane and Maguire trying to play out of the back at 10 men. Why would it's just you know just ba- very basic simple things that end up making United lose the game? So are you more frustrated with Ten Hag and the way United managed the game, even at two 0 up with ten men, or are you more angry at the decision that was given against Marcus Rashford? Listen, the record happened. You move forward and try and adapt to the game. I feel like the fact that we you got seem a re- quite resigned to it. You don't seem like you're even putting up much of an argument about it about the record. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it was a red card. No, no, which you said, but also, like, I'm surprised you're not more kind of angry. I mean, I've gone through a lot this season. (laughs) (laughs) I've just got no more anger in my voice left. But you know, the red card happened on 42 minutes. Any, this is Man United against Copenhagen for God's sake. It's not Bayern. We're not going to be onslaughted by such individual quality. I know they're two different teams. Man City went there last season and had a man sent off after half an hour and didn't concede a goal. This is what I mean. Managing games, 42 minutes we were 2-0 up, 46 minutes we were 2-all. That's not good enough at all. In that situation, Ten Hag and the players also need to take such responsibility for just maintaining the lead. 
2-0, you can easily go into half-time at 2-0 with 10 men because the difference in quality is absolutely ridiculous. And so that's why, for me, there was just two pivotal moments in the game. And I think, for me, it was United's doing because at 10 men, United should still be seeing out this game pretty convincingly, I think. So even when we had a 2-0 lead, a 3-2 lead, we should not have been blowing it at all. But you know what? When I look back to the last game when we drew with Copenhagen, sorry, when we won Copenhagen, but very luckily when Onana saved that penalty in the last minute, sometimes I think these kind of moments were inevitable. We seem to just have a moment of madness, lapses of concentration. Di- Diogo Dallo, I really hope that his milk was off this morning because it just, <laughs> it he is just, he's not a left back. He's not good enough to be a left winger. So what on earth is he? That that injury to Luke Shaw now, I'm realising, was the, the changing point of our entire season because he doesn't get done at the near post like that. Diogo Dallo is just... He's not a defender. Is he? I he's think not, he's, two he's most important players for Eric Ten Hag last season were Luke Shaw and Lisandro Martinez. 100%. And, and obviously Rashford scoring the goals. I mean, without yeah. that, you've got a very different looking season for right. Manchester United. But some of the commentary this morning from pundits and neutrals and even fans has been, Marley, that VAR is getting out of control. And Eric Ten Hag said after the game in his post-match press conference that they've had four penalties awarded against them in the last four games and three of them have been debatable. I think Ten Hag's looking for excuses. I don't think I think he wants to look anywhere other than his own team selection and his own problems that he's caused. This argument about VAR, it's been in the game now since 2019, at least in the Premier League, and in the World Cup we saw it in 2018. So we should be used to it now after five years. However, it just feels like this season, more than any other season, we're looking at refereeing decisions and VAR decisions with even more scrutiny. And this is what Owen Hargreaves, the former Manchester United player, said last night. The whole VAR thing, the last couple of weeks, it's got a little bit out of control. It's taking a little bit away from the game. We want to see games decided on the pitch and not on the screens. And at the moment, a lot of the games are being decided on screens. Whether you love or hate VAR, it's just becoming a bigger part of the game than we all thought. How do you react to that? Because I think that that's an understandable point of view. It is becoming a bigger part of the game than we all want it to. But it was always going to be like this though, wasn't it? And I think at the end of the day, VAR is there to to enforce rules. The rules that are written by the IFAB and that is that is what you judge games on. Like VAR enforces the rule. Like They don't make up rules as they go along. They enforce the rules that are in there. So I think a lot of frustration come down can come, come down to the fact that nobody knows what handball is and nobody knows what a foul is and nobody knows this and that. And then it's different. It's I get the frustration in Europe that it's different to the Premier League. It should be one rule. Handball should be handball wherever you are, over whether you're in England at Bournemouth versus Brighton or Champions League with Man United versus Copenhagen, but it's not. And that's the inconsistency, and I, I don't know why we've we've got to that point, but it does seem like a an unnecessary loophole. You've even the offsides semi-automated in in Europe works fine. You say, oh, the tip of his toe was offside, and in the Premier League, you've got some ball back drawing lines on a pitch like an etch sketch, and it's like, has he even put that line in the right place? Is that what, I mean? Is that even his armpit? It's like, so you know funny I mean? on the screen when you see them like kind of moving the screen and zooming in a play. It's it feels like, like I'm, watch- feels like I'm watching mad. a student do a GCSE maths Pythagoras <laughs> kind of like a ruler trying to measure the angles. Yeah, um, but I, I agree. I think it's a Pandora's box and you can look at the rules and whether the rules are being implemented properly by VAR. I think it's a separate debate. I think I was in favour for technology in the game 
after that Frank Lampard off the bar over the line <laughs> against Germany, which I think every other English person that so, follows the national team would have been as well. And I think the goal line technology has been implemented and it's worked well. It's only ever failed once. And that was the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game. I think the stats that came out around that one was that it was the first time it had failed in 9,000 matches, which is pretty good odds. So with that being said then, just going off your point, if we're just going to look at major decisions like that Lampard one, should we take an approach that, for example, tennis has where you get three calls oh, no, and then you only get to analyse and then it stops every single move being forensically analysed and then it stops every small that. little detail. Why? How come? Because you would you would get challenges to just stop the game for the laugh. No, but you only well, get no, three. Well, no, you'd though. only get a certain amount and once you've used Yeah, them, and you can stop three counter-attacks in a game. No, no it has to be a decision though. You can't, to, the ball would have to be dead. You can't just as Marcus Rashford's so, running so, through so, go, ref, so, that's it. So, so, when, out, please, so when do you challenge? When do you challenge when the ball goes out of play? When the ball goes out of play. So Maguire... Well, what if they've gone and scored up the other end? You go, I oh, will challenge that. Yeah, you can and challenge that. And then what happens? If it's no... Well, then, then there'll be some sort of window where they'll say, you've nah, got 30 seconds. Just doesn't make sense. I think it makes more sense than what we've What's the point in having video at all if you can only use it in certain situations? Well, you can only use it a certain amount of times in tennis, and after that, you have to judge yeah, the umpire's tennis choice. Tennis is an individual sport. I get you, but then cricket, going off going off positive the blues point at the end, it gives more. Well, cricket is a ninety mile an hour ball traveling twenty two yards, so you've got literally not point three seconds to see it. So yeah. it is hard. You need help in that game. I think football's equally as hard to referee than cricket is to umpire. I don't. Because you've got three, you've got three blokes there. See it four if you count the fourth official, who still to this day can't work out what he does other than carry the board. It, I think it, it goes back to I think it would put a little bit more power back into referees' hands, like what Postacoglu said. Because I agree with him on that point that VAR is almost making them become a little bit obsolete now, where games are literally being refereed by guys in a van watching a screen five, five miles away. Linesmen are obsolete. We don't need them anymore. Because every single offside that they call now is being judged yeah. and going back retrospectively. I said this. So I'm trying to. It's, said it's, you've got to try and find no a balance. Yeah, you got to try and find a little bit of a balance because I'm not keen on referees now. They're almost like they're. You've got this overlord, which is the VAR, and they're just enforcing what these guys want them to do. If that makes sense, they're almost like the puppet, the puppets from the puppeteers of the VAR room, and it's kind of making the game a little bit stranger because referees should be trusted at least and they have been for the last 60 years prior to VAR to make the right decision with the with what's right in front of them in and theory you don't strange. need a referee literally the game you could don't be done by a, you could you could have an automate you could have a, a whistle on the flipping tannoy yeah. saying right that's a free kick and then the referees yeah, but someone's still got to decide whether it's a free kick or not just have an announcer yeah. the AR machine says yeah. foul carry on <laughs> like, whistle goes it's a foul and then you know everyone gets angry but no one's got anyone to get angry at because the referee's not actually there That'd be quite funny, though. <laughs> It'll be like, like the air. I mean, I used the term <laughs> Pandora's box a minute ago, and this is exactly that. We've opened it. How You've far do you want to go? How deep now. do you want to yeah. go? We'll be talking about robots with artificial intelligence dictating whether it's a foul or not and whistles over the tannoy. What are we talking about? Robot this is wars, a game of it football. It's, 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 it's 11 turning v 11 kicking a bag of wind around. It really is one of those life's simple pleasures, or at least it should be. And, you know, I don't want to sit here at the age, like, you know, under the age of 30 and be like, it's not what it used to be. But it's completely, it's a different sport. It is. When you, you know, when you look at, for example, the goals of the season and you have all the compilations, if you go back to 2000 and 2007 was one of the best ones. So you go and watch that and then you go and watch the last four years and the quality of the goals, no one wants to take risks anymore. It's almost, 
the, the game has literally this is dumbed such down. clutching at straws. It used to be better in the old days. Don't get me wrong. Like Niall said, we need VAR. It's essential for decisions like Lampard's one. But now that we've opened Pandora's box, now it's a case of how far are we going to go with it? Are we going to analyse? You know, for example, the ball going out of play in the Newcastle game. Are we now going to have goal line technology for the touchline? Well, this no, is the thing, No, because you need right? to put the chip somewhere and the chip is in the goal. No, but I mean, have a, a Hawkeye camera directly down the roof. <laughs> the roof, which not every Premier League stadium has a roof that comes You can have drones on the over. pitch just hovering let, over let it. Let me oh, make this nuts. point. It's the point I made a few weeks ago and everyone's like, oh no, it's a terrible idea. And I agree that it'd be horrible. But something like that, the ball over the line, it's very rare that we see that and you see a goal stopped for it or it become a problem in terms of making a decision. You do see way more handballs. We, we saw two penalties given for handball last night, for example. When you have technology, technology is there to dictate the right from the wrong. Yes from no, it's binary, it's black and white. Over the line, not over the line. Goal line technology is black and white. Technology wants all decisions to be black and white. That is what it's there for, to figure out what is right and what is wrong. The problem is with football is it's not a game where things are right 100% and things are wrong 100%. You were talking about this two days ago on the podcast, Joel. Didn't think it was a red card. It was probably a bit more than a yellow. I'd say it was an orange. We were joking about it, but there might be 10 Joel Tudors that say it's a red and 10 Marley Andersons that say it's a yellow. So therefore, there is no way of making the correct decision because it's 50% of people think one thing, 50% of people think the other thing. But like I said a few weeks ago, if we make the handball rule so basic and tedious and boring and rubbish that as soon as it hits your arm, it's a penalty, that eradicates any debate whatsoever. Oh, but it's so harsh. Yes, it is, but it's a penalty because it hit his arm. And then it makes life so much easier. If we want technology, which we clearly do, then we need to make things more binary and more black and white. And it's that Pandora's box. We've opened the box and now we can't go back. They can't take VAR away now. It's here to stay. That ship has sailed. That horse has bolted, whatever cliche you want to use. The point I'm trying to make is if you make handball, if it hits your arm, whether it's harsh, whether it's deliberate, whether it's, whether someone kicks it against you on purpose, if you just make that a handball every single time, you'll never, ever have any arguments about decisions. Yes, it'll be harsh, but it's either right or wrong. Did it hit his arm? Yes. Is it harsh? Doesn't matter. Hits his arm, it's a pen. And that's the thing with technology. Well, we had that two years ago, didn't we? When we had, didn't we have like 40-odd penalties in the first yeah, three weeks? Yeah, it will ruin, like I said, it will ruin football for a year, two years. Yeah. And then people get used to it. At the well, moment, people aren't getting used to VAR. We're five years down well, the line do they and people get used still to it, aren't used to it. Or do they go, ah, oh, well, this game's now, it's unwatchable. It's unwatchable wanna, now with all the decisions. I don't want to see 6-4. I want to see, you know, proper football. I don't want to see, you know, Bruno Fernandes and Luka Milivievic as the two leading goal scorers in the Premier League because their teams have got the most penalties. I don't think the game's set up for for that type of stuff. Like, if you were going to do that, I agree that something should be black and white and it can be black and white. Um, but fouls can never be black and white. No, fouls can't. Handballs can, but handballs inside the box to give a penalty is too harsh. It's too harsh to be changing a game based on something that is like, so this subjective. Game, this game, this sport does I not lend both... itself to technology. It just doesn't. Because it'll always be I subjective. Think... This is the issue. I feel like because we've got technology, we think it's a yes or no. But a foul and a handball isn't yeah. a yes or no. You it's can't have... opinion. Absolutely. You can't have a black and white contact sport. 
You can with cricket because everything is, is it out, is it not? Or tennis. Did he cross over the line so it's a no ball? Yeah, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Basketball. Like, basketball is a non-contact sport, isn't it? Is that right? Ish. I'd say it's like, There's a bit of a blur, but yeah. Yeah. it's it's probably the most similar to football in in those kind of things. And yeah, everything, everything's different. Tennis, black and white, non-contact sport. Is it yeah. in, is it out? Did yeah. his foot go over the line, et cetera? You know, did it hit the net? So are, we, are we chasing perfection for something that can't be perfected? Absolutely, absolutely what we're doing. 100%. We can't do it. That's why Mikel Arteta sat there saying it's it's a disgrace, it's unacceptable. That's why Jurgen Klopp sat there saying it's a disgrace, it's unacceptable. Because people's jobs are on the line. Significant amounts of cash are on the line. People go to games to be entertained. And yes, it's not entertaining when your side gets stitched up by a dodgy decision. It's so frustrating. But we're getting to the point now where sport is more important than what it was created for. It's become a monster, hasn't it? it it's has become, become its own monster. monster. Yeah. In terms of, like you just said, if we if we want to take it down to the bare basics, football was a working class sport, which was the hub of a community, and that was it. And now that we've got so much money and so much risk, so much livelihood on the line, yeah. because these are, these are billion pounds institutions now. They're not just local, everyone comes and plays on a weekend. Managers now are putting so much pressure on it to get the right... You know what? I don't want to say it. It's, it's human error. The, the technology is absolutely perfect. It's always been there. It's human error. For 125 years or however yeah. long football's been around. And it's been dictated by it's been, it's been dictated by referee opinion for a good 100 years and everyone's been absolutely fine with it. I think the issue now is when you bring in technology, it comes with expectation that it will be perfect. But when it comes to opinion, you will never have a perfect opinion because we all think differently. So is there an issue with the laws of the game then? Does that need to be changed? And then are they implementing it consistently across every single area. I think that's what the issue is. But you can't change the laws of the game because the laws of the game are for the whole game and that's from six-year-old kids on a Sunday morning to your Champions League game on a Tuesday night. It's a game for everyone. But obviously I'm, this is the biggest and most popular sport on the planet. So you're going to have issues. I'm thinking to eradicate this mysteriousness that comes from the VAR room, it feels like some dungeon in... Buenos Aires or something there nobody knows where they are and who they are I feel like the only way to eradicate this and put sole responsibility on the referee so we trust him again is any big decision that happens in a game the referee has to review it on a screen and his decision has to be his and his only because if we're coming from the, the VAR yeah. and they're suggesting it and then he says okay blow my whistle I trust you let's go with that Yeah, I feel like we need to put responsibility back into his hands he reviews it, only him, and he makes the call, then we move forward. What about time limits? Let's no, just say if they can't no. find a clear and obvious error within two minutes, I think it puts move on. I hate that idea. because You hate any idea. You seem, you, seem to be, you seem to be pro-technology, pro-VAR, but you have absolutely no answers, Angry no solutions. I do have solutions. Go on, what's your solution then? The solution is just get the decision right. It doesn't matter how long it I takes. Said that, I, I said that a month ago I and know, I was called no, Ebenezer. I know. Nile for that. I did as well. And I still maintain. <laughs> I literally it. No, said a I, month no, and a half ago, get more thing. decisions right. I absolutely hate the idea that you can go and look at a, look <laughs> at a decision, it. and then if let you me, can't get it, it's not the f***ing conundrum on countdown. Like if you can't get it in thirty seconds, you don't get it. Like that's stupid. Why would you have the replays and then not use them for as long as you need them? It might take you four looks to have a look at something, and it's a five-second decision. Uh, a five second like clip so there you go you've used 20 seconds and then on the fourth one you've gone oh was it was he blocking the goalie like that and that might be a decision but 
I don't. Uh, so you like this, the fact that they're going into microscopic detail then? You like the fact that they're looking at absolutely everything and it's taking five minutes of time? Uh, yeah, because if you, I don't care as long as the decision gets right at the end of it. Obviously, when you make a, but make the subjective. wrong decision. So you think that what was the right decision in the Newcastle Arsenal game, someone else doesn't? Yeah, but we have to do that now. Yeah, but because you we can't. have the capabilities to do. So it. then, what's the but point? You can't, what's you the can't point? Just let the referee make the decision. Well, the referee should. That, uh, this is what I agree with, though. The referee should take it on himself to have a look and see if there's anything wrong with it, because then it's on him. There's not a referee. There's not a little collection of nerds in, the, in in an office looking and saying, "Oh, Mr. Mr. Taylor, we think this is, uh, you know, he's interfering with play." Because then it, the referee's already prejudiced towards, right? Well, they think it's a it's a bad decision, and they give me. Like in the Rashford thing last night, like the first image that ref seen is is Rashford bending that guy's a ankle in half. Image that's slow motion. Yeah. Exactly. And what let, and what sport is this? Let him watch it. Let him watch it as he wants. As he watched it. Yeah. Let him watch it as he watched it. The first, game is not first slow First decision, motion. you get it in real time, and then you get it slowed down, and then you get it zoomed in, and then you get it in real time again, and it's like, you know, you even you might even have a zoomed in thing of of what Rashford was looking at, which was never the player. Yeah. It was literally the ball, and I'm going to protect the ball. And then, you know, he stamps on his ankle. You said something about contact sports earlier and that it doesn't really work as well in contact sports. One thing I do like about rugby union and the way they use technology is the referees are confident enough to make their own decision. And then they say, listen, Dave, I'm not sure about that one. Give me Mm. some help. Whereas actually the VAR, I feel like they're taking too much of a role in this. Yeah, It's more like you need to look at that, Michael Oliver, not... I'm not sure about that because the Udogi one, which I will keep going on about when he's two feet off the ground in the Spurs-Chelsea game on Monday, Michael Oliver is in the perfect position. He's in a spot-on position, exactly where you want your referee to be. He has a clear view of the incident because I've seen the screenshot and he's right there and yet he doesn't give the decision. Is that because he knows VAR's there to back him up? Is that why the assistant didn't put his flag up when the ball went over the line, allegedly, in Arsenal-Newcastle because he thinks our VAR will clear that up and I'm not 100% sure? And yeah, it's one of those where probably. I think maybe the referees are leaning too much on the technology yeah. and maybe they need to take control back and say, I'm the man officiating this game or I'm the woman officiating this game. I'm the one that's going to make the decisions. And if I want you, I'll come to you instead of you coming to me. But I think that's where they're worrying. So let's say, for example, Michael Oliver sent off a doggy for that. Or let's, let, actually, let's go back to like a less obvious incident where they thought that is 100% a red card. I'm sending him off. With him having the knowledge that he can go and review this at any moment, I feel like there's a little bit of confirmation bias coming into it where if they, if the people in his ear are saying, you need to go and look at that, and he says, no, I'm sure of my decision, there will always be a little seed of doubt in his mind that thinks, have they seen something that I've not seen there? And suddenly confirmation bias takes over. And I think that's the issue we're getting now where he knows that they've got the best view of the house. Yeah. Whereas I feel like now... That he needs to re- they need to give the referee a little bit of control again. Yeah, yeah. And he needs to say, actually, yeah, I want to go and review this. This is my decision. Don't interfere with my decision. And then we go with that. Because otherwise, like you've just said, we're going to get literally, it feels like an overlord watching over <laughs> and dictating exactly what the referee's doing. I don't like that. It's like Big Brother. Yeah. Referees, referees are apparently qualified to do this job. So why are guys in a truck a little ice cream van <laughs> dictating what goes on. I mean, they might have a nice 99, but I mean, the referee definitely doesn't on the pitch. Well, we've spent 
nine minutes talking about Manchester United's game last night and 20 minutes talking about VAR. So let's bring it back to Eric Ten Hag's side just <laughs> nine quickly minutes, nine before we move talking on. About it. There was 13 <laughs> added on at the end of that first half. <laughs> I was just doing a nice dead cat uh, technique where we just focus on something else rather than the actual main. Right, <laughs> you okay. should be a politician. <laughs> Man United, bottom of the group now. They need to win away in Istanbul against Galatasaray and they need to be already qualified by Munich at Old Trafford in their last two games. Are United out of the Champions League? Mathematically, no, but in your opinion? Yes, I think so. I think it's just, I don't have faith in us to go and get a result like that. And we all talked about it in the in the office. I know it's Galatasaray, but it's the most competent Galatasaray side I think I've seen in quite a long time. I mean, they've actually held Bayern for good periods of their two games that they've had over them. And you know what? The only issue I have is that Copenhagen playing against Bayern I wouldn't even be surprised if they go and beat them. And then it's pretty much over for us. So, yeah, two wins against Galatasaray and Bayern is it's actually a massive ask. And the main game that has literally killed us is that Galatasaray at home game, which was 2-1 up, well in our control, and they've collapsed. Completely collapsed. It's our own fault. So I genuinely, that's why I'm not angry, because it was in our hands, this kind of group. When you look at Newcastle's group, you can kind of have a little bit of sympathy because you've got competent, top quality Everyone teams. beating each other. Right, yeah. it's fair enough. Whereas Yeah, PSG not Copenhagen. as good as people think they are. Dortmund better than people think they are. And, and you never know what is going to turn yeah. up. Yeah. Whereas we've got Copenhagen. I mean, you know what? Full due respect, they played really well, but we should not be allowing them into a game scoring four goals against us. That is absolute joke. Well, Manchester United, bottom of their Champions League group. No such misfortune though for Arsenal, who swept aside Sevilla last night to go top of theirs. They are on the brink of qualification in a group that contains PSV and Lens as well. You'd expect the Gunners to go through. So we'll talk about their game last night next on FSD. Right, deep breath everyone. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We've reset ourselves and mellowed out a little bit after that VAR debate, which I, think I, was I don't more think angry will be about... the last time this season we have one. <laughs> I was more angry about that than United. <laughs> I know. Yeah, more animated than that. Um, Marley's taking a, a swig of Lucas A just to uh, bring the energy levels back up again after that draining conversation about VAR. Thanks for sticking with us, by the way. If you like this podcast, then why not hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. Leave us a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And join the Telegram chat as well. And actually, you've been sending us some of your questions that we'll tackle during the international break in that chat. And you can join it by clicking the link in the description to this show. Let's talk about more Champions League action, this time for Arsenal. You, Joel, actually mentioned that you think Arsenal have got a good chance of going the distance in the Champions League. When I say go the distance, I don't necessarily mean win it, but at least go further than the last 16, which is usually where they've historically come unstuck. A quite simple win for them against Sevilla, who obviously aren't quite as good as they used to be, but are still a decent side in Europe. At the Emirates, though, you'd expect Arsenal to get the job done, and they did. Do you still hold the same thoughts that you did a few weeks ago when it comes to Arsenal in the Champions League? Absolutely, and I think the only set of fans that are going to disagree with me is maybe Arsenal fans because they don't want the pressure of that kind of responsibility I would say because Arsenal when you look at the group that they've got you know decent-ish group Sevilla not quite Sevilla are basically waiting for third place let's be honest they can't wait to drop into that Europa League and start causing mayhem again but for Arsenal to finish top of the group first and foremost means that they avoid their absolute foe, their Achilles heel, their enemy Bayern Munich, for now, 
for now, maybe in the quarterfinals, but for but now... their other biggest enemy is the last 16, so... <laughs> yeah, so they've got to avoid that, can they? If it's Bayern in the last 16, you're right, no well, chance. They, well, they finished top now, so they cannot get them. I'm sure they'll be happy about that. But for Arsenal, I think, and I've seen it this season, they've got a different bit of grit. It's the criticism that we've always had about Arsenal, which is, have they got enough leaders? Are they strong enough? Are they nasty enough? That kind of argument, I think they have. I genuinely think they have. Enough. They would have won against uh, us at St James's Park if they were nasty enough. Arteta was nasty, but just in the press conference, but just not on the pitch. But I think when you look at... Um, He's a disgrace. <laughs> Get away, Lego Edge. <laughs> well, Grow thing, some spuds. I think the thing with Arsenal is they're a good team right now. And yes, I'm stating the bleeding obvious, but in their group is PSV from the Netherlands, Lens from France, who are rarely, if ever, in the Champions League and Sevilla, who aren't, as I say, the same team as they were three or four years ago. They've actually finished, I think, mid-table the last couple of seasons. They were fighting relegation in La Liga. So, March last year. You'd expect Arsenal, a team that really should have won the Premier League last season, to be top of that group with nine points after four games, which they are. However, when they come up against the Real Madrid, do you know what a I mean? When, when they come up against... A real powerhouse. A yeah. powerhouse. And Arsenal yeah, yeah. were a well-established Champions League club 10, 15 years ago. They haven't been, though, for the last 10 years. We'll have to find out. There's only, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mark. Harry Hill. <laughs> Fight. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, you can't answer that until you get there, but you've got to get in, in a position to get yourself there, and they have done. They've yeah. negotiated everything they've had to so far in the uh, Champions League. They probably wanted a bigger team in there just to test themselves against maybe an Atletico Madrid or... Yeah, or uh, a Dortmund or an AC Milan, they can quite happily with swap any of them out of our group for Lons. <laughs> Arsenal are good enough to go very very deep in this comp- in this competition, but at some point you will have to come up against one of those teams in the quarters or the semis. You're not going to get all the way through playing the likes of of Lons and maybe Dortmund in the last sixteen, and then you know maybe a, a Galatasaray in a semi or something like that. It's not going to work like that. You are going to have to come up against the scourge, which has been buying. Um, every time, you know, back sort of 2013, 2014, when they'd they'd get pumped by Bayern. Was it 10-2 at one point? Yeah. <laughs> Is that one <laughs> of the Tony aggregates? Tony Crows absolutely killed yeah. them. I mean, you know, they'll have scars from that. Obviously, it's a completely different club now, but still, you know, it's uh, it's in the history and they've got to overcome that and sort of reprove themselves as one of Europe's best, which I think on the pitch they are. Um you know, the proof will be in the pudding and how far you get in the Champions League because you will still get people, if Arsenal go out of the Champions League in the quarter-final, you will still get people saying Arteta is not good enough because he, and they'll just say he's bottled the league and he's out of the Champions League in the quarter-finals. Like, what's he actually doing? When in reality, we all remember what Arsenal were like three, four years ago. They were rubbish. Now they're very good. So it's not like that, but sometimes you've got to, you've got to prove, you've got to achieve things while you can. Otherwise, your your reputation gets a bit tarnished. All right. Well, Arsenal currently top of their Champions League group. Next up, we're going to talk about West Ham United, who are in Europa League action tonight. And David Moyes is under a bit of pressure. And we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Stick around. Final part of today's show, this is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. And I want to talk about West Ham United, who are of course managed by David Moyes. And I think we were all fully expecting in the summer, Joel, David Moyes to actually move on from West Ham and them to find a replacement. 
in the end, he ends up staying because they win the Europa Conference League. They sell Declan Rice for £100-plus million, pounds, so they've got some transfer money to work with. They bring in a new sporting director. There were rumours of a conflict between him and Moyes as well, so there's been a few question marks over his potential future. And of course, let's not forget, West Ham were scrapping relegation last season until some really important wins and eventually they, they stayed up. David Moyes' future, is it right that it's being called into question? It's such a strange one for me, this, because... It- I feel like I've not looked at the Premier League table for a couple of weeks and the last time I checked, West Ham were absolutely flying. I think Jarrod Bowen was scoring six away consecutive Premier League goals and I was thinking, damn, everything's kind of piecing together for West Ham. Suddenly they're in 12th, three games on the trot defeats. And okay, I can see the angle you're coming from in terms of, and I can see the angle West Ham fans are coming from in terms of the fact that they might have doubts about Moyes because it does stem from last season. But sometimes I feel like in this situation, you need to be careful what you wish for because the next manager might not be able to galvanise the club the way in which he has. You know, he got the first European trophy. They're in the Europa League. Who knows where they could go in that? I don't think they'll win it, but they're in the Europa League for a reason. And that's because of what he's done with the club. But I understand as well that sometimes it can run its course with Moyes. And it happened at United. I feel like it happened at Everton in a way. I know he left kind of prematurely, but we all, we, I think we all said in the summer that David Moyes, I don't think, has the ability to raise the level of West Ham with the level of play that he has. You know, in terms of like Luca Paqueta, I mean, there's a reason Pep Guardiola wanted him. He's a quality player, technically. I don't feel like David Moyes can take these players to the next level that they're wanting to go to. If you look at the eight teams that are below West Ham in the Premier League table, Marley, they are Nottingham Forest, Wolves, Fulham, Everton, Luton, Bournemouth, Burnley and Sheffield United. All Mm -hmm. teams you'd expect to be below West Ham. To be scrapping that relegation free-for-all, yeah. I've got no doubt in my mind that a a better manager can take West Ham higher. Uh, And by higher, I mean sort of verge of top, top seven. Like... There's there's players there and there's there has been money there um, that will get them up there and they've proved that by finishing was it fifth a couple of years ago and getting into the Europa League for the first time. Um, but that spark that David Moyes had then that's gone that's long gone. Yeah, it has. I think where Moyes has always fell down is the transfer window. I think they've had Sebastian Haller in recent times. They've had uh, Skamaka. I believe these players are are more than good enough to be. Two have scored a lot of goals for West Ham, but Moyes couldn't unlock them and he couldn't get the best out of them, I, I don't think. Paqueta, he's, he's doing okay with Paqueta, but I think, again, a better manager could get a lot more out of Lucas Paqueta. If you put him in the Man City team, I think he'd be absolutely ridiculous. Mm. I think he would step up to that level. I think that's that's the level of player he is. And I think they're quite lucky with that, with Paqueta as well because he's, he's big. He's like six foot two, so he can play a more physical way than he's probably used to. Um, you know, he's. I think, I think he's, he's he's comfortably over six. He looks it. I'm pretty sure about six four, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he looks he, huge. He's pretty lanky for a for a Brazilian who dribbles. You know, he's he's kind of built a bit like Kaká, I think. Like he's kind of mm. tall but good with his feet. So even though he's not playing in the best system, he can still use his physicality a bit. And you see him bouncing players off the off the ball. I think I seen him against Arsenal a few weeks ago where he bounced. Uh, was it? Um, I think it was Saka or someone who just bounced him with a shoulder barge and then did three pointless step overs and passed it five yards because <laughs> yeah. they were 3-1 up yeah. and it was like he can do that as well so I think that's why he's he's getting by in the West Ham team but I think a better manager could could take them a lot further 
Well, um, Moyes says he wants West Ham to be in Europe after Christmas, doesn't any manager who manages a European team. And I think stuff that he says sometimes doesn't help him in press conferences. For example, yeah. he said, Olympiacos, who they're playing tonight, are a very experienced European team. I watched them play Arsenal two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Mitroglou was leading the line. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Two years ago, when we coming just out of the arse end of a pandemic at that point. <laughs> but, it's a different world. I mean, David. this is football. Two weeks is a long time in football, as the old cliche goes, let alone two years. So stuff like that, when he says stuff like that, it kind of makes people think that he's out of touch. And actually... The problem West Ham fans have got is not the European performances because they were exceptional every Thursday night last season on their way to winning the Conference League. And they might well do the same this season, but they were awful in the Premier League and they have been in the last three games, as you said. But is this not what the fans want? What, to be crap in the Premier League? No, but I mean, no, but come on. They've had a European, an incredible European run last year. They're top of the group in the Europa League. What more are we looking for? just purely on the basis of what he did last season. I feel like he has a lot of credit in the bank. And you also have to ask as well, who would they even replace him with? I feel like the only name that stands out for me is someone like Julian Wapetegi, only because his credentials, I feel, could get a lot out of the plays that they already have. But when you look at the table, I mean, they're on 14 points. One win takes you all the way up to ninth. It's so condensed in there. That's why I feel like there's no reason to be flippant and make a quick change for no apparent reason, because... Again, the Europa League campaign is going pretty well. It's ticking along nicely. If they win tonight, they're almost home and dry, you would say. And I just feel like in the in the Premier League as well, I know they've had three back-to-back defeats, but one win suddenly changes your whole season and your whole outlook for the next few weeks. So I think personally, they need to give them a little bit of time. But there is a couple of managers that I like that are waiting in the wings. When you say a little bit of time, how much, Marley? Because he's out of contract at the end of the season. So if you are going to bring in a new manager... And I never like calling for managers to be sacked. And I don't think David Moyes should be sacked just because of this reason. But if you are going to bring in a new manager, you may as well give them as much time as you can, right? Because it's not like David Moyes is going to get a contract extension. No, I I, I would just let him see it out to the end of the season. I don't think Moyes is playing bad football to the point where he needs to be sacked now. But I 100% think that it's it came to an end naturally at West Ham. I think... If he wasn't going to leave at the end of the season, he would have signed a deal on the back of the Conference League win. So to then go into this, you know, the season after you win a European title, as much as it's a bit of a cardboard trophy, um, you, you know, you sh- I think I think they all know that it's, and they all agree, this is my last season. And, and you know, the West Ham are probably out thinking about Graham Potter now and maybe Lopetegui or who else who else is out there mm-hmm. but West Ham don't plan very well so um, maybe uh, maybe they're not doing that but I can't see them having Moyes beyond this season but I think it'll, it'll be alright to the summer West Ham will finish mid-table 12th 11th whatever get to the knockout stages of the um, the Europa League go out to Villarreal something like that and then that's the season done really or, ironically, the best um, the best thing to happen for them would be to finish third in the Europa League and go and win the Conference League again. <laughs> How'd you drop down again? You do. Yeah. Wow. I mean, no one's retained it yet. So first team in history, retain the uh, David Conference Moyes title. David Moyes back to back European Cups has a nice ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a route to success. That Just like a perpetual cycle. Well, it's of, worth a Sevilla for the last ten years. Exactly. Into the Europa, <laughs> out of the Europa, into the conference, win the conference, into the Europa, out of the Europa, into the conference, win the conference. Just keep going. Do you reckon they've uh, 
designed the Europa Conference League trophy so they're like stackable or that you can like <laughs> connect them together. Do you know what I think? Yeah. Like, like no, David Moyes has got these art pieces in his garden, which is just like a few Europa Conference League trophies like welded it's like together. the Avengers Infinity Stones in it. <laughs> <laughs> you in five, you get a big massive fist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know why that was so funny, but we're going to finish the podcast on that. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Nice one, Joel. Nice one, Marley. And thanks to you for listening as well. Don't forget, hitting subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform is the best way to stay up to date with us. Just want to apologise for how late the podcasts have been dropping on Spotify recently. Not sure why that is. We'll try and solve it as best we can. You can always catch us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform. But that is it from us. Catch you again soon on Football Social Daily. Bye for now. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.